Hello and welcome aboard our podcast, Fighting Catholic Jetlag. My name is JC and I'll be your host. I'm a flight attendant and I'm on a journey to find my place within the Catholic Church. I'll be accompanied by my friend and co-host, Father Larry Hostetter, priest of 34 years and doctor of sacred theology. He's a Catholic University president and for our discussion, he'll serve as spiritual ground control to keep things on course for our flight back to faith. At times, we'll be navigating through difficult and uncomfortable issues, so prepare for a bit of turbulence along the way. There won't always be easy answers, but no subject will be off the table. If you're ready to explore your own doubts and questions and rediscover your faith with us, then sit back, buckle up, and enjoy our flight to faith. Are we on? Yeah, allows the three of us to All pick right. up instead now. So that we now we should very first thing say yes. welcome to Fighting Catholic Jet Lag. Welcome everyone. And I'm Larry Hostetter with Rebecca Sapp. And we are your hosts today. We have a very special guest with us, Dr. Emily DeMore, who is the director of the Center for Caritas at Brescia University. Uh, and also the former director for our leading with <laughs> I'm not going to get it. Living and leading with love. Living, Living and, and leading, leading with, with love. love. We're Whatever. only in year seven. Maybe he'll get it. <laughs> get it at some point. Anyway, you all were just, before we were starting, um, we were talking about what giving up for Lent. Mm. And you said, because we have this magnificent tray of Christmas goodies. What is this? Maybe... That looks incredible. Do you mean Advent, not Lent? Well, I, did I say Lent again? Father I've done that, ev- I did that every single time. <laughs> that looks uh, maybe like some kind of toffee. Some toffee or like caramel. Coffee. I have to give that a try. Wow. Anyway, with this beautiful tray of Christmas goodies and Advent goodies, and Rebecca was saying... I'm glad that I was going to give up chocolate, but I gave up alcohol instead because we've got chocolate all over this plate and I would not be able to resist. Right. And Emily said she gave up wine. Whining. Whining. (laughs) Not wine, but whining. So that brought me to a question I had. Uh So the the British spell whining, W-H-I-N-G-I-N-G. Yes. And the other day I was watching a British television show and they said whinging. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Let's stop whinging. So whinging is whining. Is whining. Mm-hmm. So do you ever use the term whining or is it just whinging? Um, ooh, I think since I've moved to America, whining is probably more what I would say. In England, 100% whinging. Whinging. Yeah. Quit your whinging. Stop whinging. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I never knew that. We probably did because we traveled to England a lot. No, I didn't. Nobody said that. I guess I just am around people who don't whinge, but (laughs) I'm doing this for my husband. I'm giving up whining to give him a Oh, that's a nice (laughs) thing. That's my gift. I'm going to get up whinging and we don't know what it is. (laughs) That's even better. Yeah, so if you do it, then no one will say that you've been whinging because they won't know. I have to write that down. And so I saw it in a novel or something, and you know, when you read, they to, you know, whinging, and, and I thought, okay, this is just another one of those things where they pronounce it whining, yeah. and it's just spelled different, like we spell, you know, color yeah. different, uh, you know, those kinds of things. Yep. Um, but last week, you are wearing mourning 
this week in comparison to what you were oh, wearing last week. I know. Martine Moss. Oh, really? England were defeated. Defeated by France. I know. Yeah. It was a sad day. We were so close, though. We mm -hmm. were nearly, but it just wasn't our year. I was almost confident when <laughs> it was. But, you know, we're used to defeat. We've only won the once, so. We'll yeah, and of course now up. it's France uh, and Argentina yes. are in the final. Yeah. See, I think if we would have beat France, we'd have definitely beat Morocco and we'd have been in the final. Right. But France just had the edge. So who are you going to be rooting for? Or are you done? Argentina. Yeah, I think. Of course. France beat us. <laughs> we didn't play Argentina. No qualms with oh, them right the now. Pope is from there. Oh, there we go. Right. The Pope is from Argentina. The Pope is from Argentina. That is my second team forever now. Until the Pope changes. Emily is, <laughs> is the most Catholic of us right now. Well, probably Rebecca is still the most Catholic because she's the newest. But uh, Thank you. Um, what still... do you mean by that? <laughs> most uh, uh, aware of the rules. Consistently Catholic. Really? I mean, just I didn't even remember that the Pope was from Argentina. So <laughs> oh, you know, oh, okay. that, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. <laughs> well, I'm quite fond of it. But I'm also keep calling Advent Lent. So, um, so I have a question about that, actually. So I was telling my mum about during Lent, you can, like, Sundays are like mini Easter's. Mm -hmm. So is right. that the same thing for Advent? Are Sundays like mini Christmases? No. I don't think so. so I think can't... I think the Sundays are still mini Easter's. Oh wait, really? Yeah, Sunday's always Easter. <gasps> the whole year. All year. What if Christmas lands on a Sunday? Then it's still Christmas supersedes, but it's Christmas is even Christmas is celebrated in it's the Christa. context of East, East, Easter. Christmas makes no sense if Easter didn't happen. Or is it Easter makes no sense if Christmas didn't happen? No, I think it's it. Well, in both ways, probably. <laughs> Chicken but, and egg. <laughs> you know, Christmas as a feast wasn't really celebrated or even thought of until like the third third century uh, after Easter was the big festival. And then somebody said, you know, we ought to celebrate the birthday of Jesus. And then somebody else said, well, when is it? I, said, I don't know. And then they said, December 25th. Seems like a good time because <laughs> that's when the light returns. You know, the light starts coming back, at least okay. in the northern hemisphere. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting if Christianity had developed in the southern hemisphere. It would be a different it would. <laughs> uh, experience altogether. We'd have Australia Christmases. We'd have Australia. Yeah. Yeah, Christmas would be June, yeah. June 20, 25th. Yeah. So, yeah, Christmas is always celebrated in the context of Easter. Easter is never is never abandoned, is, is never an afterthought. Yeah. It's because uh, the reason why this birth makes sense is this is the person that would end up coming into the Lord, in, in becoming our savior. Yeah. Well, look who's finally coming to oh work. Oh my gosh, what's up? I got my beauty breast in. <laughs> no, oh, you've tell. been at a meeting. I have been at the community college. Dr. Laura McCrary just returned. As you all know, she's also the chief oh, staff. Oh, Surprise! You know, I sent her a picture of your hair, so I don't know if she's coming. I know. I didn't know who it was when I walked by. I've got. I'm about to go to the gym, so I've got hair like this. But oh my gosh, I love it! It's so rich. It's gonna take 15 minutes to notice. So. Oh my gosh, I still haven't noticed. What am I supposed to notice? I'm super brunette. You don't see her all the time. Yeah, it looks good. It's great. 
Yeah. Well, anyway, we should probably jump right in. Uh-huh. Um, Can I jump in on your Easter comment? Sure. Because like Christmas, Easter is cosmological in that it's um, always held on the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. Oh. So it's it's all about light and creation and new life, and it, it's all intertwined with creation. Interesting. That's why it doesn't have a definite every year the same day. Yeah. Okay. So I can drink alcohol on Sundays and not be cheating on my advent. Remember, this is a no guilt zone. It's a penitential cast. It's not. It. I think at different times in our history, it probably was more penitential, but it's not. And then, and then that went away completely. And then I, now I think we're rediscovering. Okay, a little bit of penance never hurts mm-hmm. anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, especially given that we are already in full blown celebration mode in our culture, yeah. without any preparation whatsoever. You know. Um, and we, the, the church has always insisted hearts have to be prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think this fits in perfectly with what Dr. DeMore, or we'll call her Emily for this, is, <laughs> is going to be talking about because your work in process and eco-theology is all about change mm-hmm. and process and developing and becoming more than we are at any given time. Mm-hmm. Emergence, yeah. So tell us a little bit. So Dr. DeMore, as I mentioned, is, um, I also want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about the Center uh, for Caritas here yeah. at Brescia, mm-hmm. but um, is involved in a number of theological uh, conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and tell us a little bit about what what that's about, who, you, who you're collaborating with and mm-hmm. the what kinds of things are you all talking about while I chew on this <laughs> mystery fudge, which I still can't tell after mystery. having bitten into it what it is, but it's, it's really wonderful. good. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I am director of the Caritas Center here at Brescia, which is a community resource to gather um, archival information, resources, and um, in conversations around love here at Brescia. And you can get to it by going to our Brescia University website, click on Academics, and then there'll be a drop-down menu on the left, and then click on the Caritas Center. We can okay. put a link. Yeah, we'll put our... that link on Oh, on yeah, that would be great. Well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it has different kinds of features. Um, you know, in addition to the wonderful resources, um, many of which were um, brought to our attention by Dr. Elaine Wright. She's been a wonderful collaborator. Um, we also do things every week. Um, we do pulse the Pulse of Love at Brescia, and that's a column. And I interview people about uh, how do they integrate the the virtue or the value of love into their work here. And we've gotten into wonderful conversations. And sometimes um, they'll write up their own piece, or sometimes I'll write it for them if they don't have the time or inclination to write it. So you know, check that out. And then we also highlight sort of a a person who gets um, nominated by someone else at the university. And this is a shorter little piece, like a paragraph um, about Caritas in action. So you can click on that and find all the people who've been highlighted. Um, But it's really been transformative for me. You know, these are really trying times. And when I start talking to faculty and staff and understanding that they're all coming out of this deep love, 
no matter what they're doing. And it might look different depending on what discipline they're in or what job they have. Mm -hmm. um, their work is grounded in love. And I get to see the best at Brescia. I get to see the best in every person and what really motivates them. And even sometimes faculty will say, well, I don't really think about Caritas much. And, um, and I'll say, well, can I interview you? And just maybe we can tease it out. And then they end up giving these wonderfully eloquent statements about love. And, and they, you know, they dig deep and they find that's really what's motivating them. And uh, uh, this is all part of how we at the university identify um, our Catholic identity. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's often a question that universe, Catholic universities are asked is how do how do you express your Catholicism? Mm -hmm. And there's sometimes critique and criticism from different parts of the church that universities are not Catholic enough, or even from the other side, too Catholic um, or too rigid. And so we try to figure out what is it that makes us Catholic. And in doing so, we recognize that we come from, we live in an area that while Owensboro is very heavily Catholic, all we have to do is leave this county and we are in the Catholic diaspora. There aren't very many Catholics. They're, they're, they, Catholics live in pockets in Western Kentucky. So our university campus is very diverse. Uh, I wouldn't even say we have a majority of our students are are Catholic right. at any given time. I'd say anywhere from 40 to 60% only. The rest are of various Christian denominations um, or not believers at all, um, or they are uh, Muslim or Buddhist or of the Hindu faith. Mm -hmm. um, they, they come from all over the world, so they, have, they represent those world religions as well. Mm -hmm. So how do we define our Catholic identity in a way that remains true to our discipleship or called a discipleship as Christians, but also is inclusive. And so we settled on the one thing that Jesus commanded us, which is love one another as you have been loved from the Gospel of John. And we decided that would be what we do here at the university. And for our students, that means helping them to understand who they are as someone loved by God and called to love, what they should know as someone loved by God and called to love, and what they should do as someone loved by God and called to love. And we're, we're working in this part of our strategic plan of making sure that is infused throughout the curriculum at the university. And Dr. Moore has graciously accepted the role as director of the center that we've created. And tell us a little bit about your work with the folks in, in England at Oxford. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, again, it's all about love because the, the other um, projects that I'm involved with um, all center on love. So in England, um, I'm, I'm working with the project for the study of love in religion, and that is headed by um, Reverend Dr. Paul Fittis, uh, and he's at Regents Park College, which is part of Oxford. Oxford is a collection of many uh, uh, universities and private halls and seminaries, and that's really um, an interfaith project, and more specifically, he focuses on Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 
And so we look at, uh, he has guiding questions as well for love. And uh, it's a brilliant project. It's funded by the Templeton uh, Foundation, at least in part. And last year, um, in, uh, let's see, November 2021, the Caritas Center at Brescia co-hosted an event with the Project for the Study of Love and Religion, and also with the um, Oxford Center for Religion and Culture. And uh, the event was called Loving the Planet, Planet sorry. <laughs> and uh, from that colloquium, and I was the keynote speaker, Paul had asked me to be the keynote speaker, which was really scary and really wonderful <laughs> at the same time. Um, and so from that, uh, we've written a book. We've co-written a book. So I wrote the first chapter. Oh, wow. Paul wrote the last chapter where he ties all the pieces <laughs> together. It came out on Amazon this week. And it's called Loving the Planet, Ooh. Interfaith Essays on Ecology, Love, and Theology. And one of the partners in this whole thing is the um, Laudato Si Institute at Oxford. So we're, so the Caritas Center is working with some really interesting and really world-renowned partners. Um, I'm also involved with the um, Center for Christogenesis. Can we just take a... Uh a step back sure. before we jump into all that because yeah. so you wrote this chapter yes and um because of your work with eco theology is probably what one of the reasons why if this conference was about loving the planet yes uh you your work with eco theology can you tell the folks listening what eco theology is and why it's important and maybe a little bit about how that ties in with with love and then we'll jump into the Christogenesis. Oh, sure. Piece of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So I don't, I don't have a succinct definition of ecotheology because, as with most branches of theology, there are kind of threads going out in different directions and nuances. But, but basically, um, <clears throat> I draw a lot from uh, the. Uh, the, let's see, when was that? 1991, the U.S. Catholic Conference of Bishops put out a statement called Renewing the Earth. And the basis of the eco-theology that they articulated was uh, sacramentality, that all of creation is sacred. And the idea that, that um, God became matter, that God became part of creation and becoming human um, sort of reifies that notion that um, matter isn't evil, you know, that, that it's sacred. All of the, all of creation is sacred. And, and sacramentality means, means what? Um, the presence of God in, in all things and in, in all of creation. Um, that's the way it would be interpreted in this context. And, and, and the communication of God. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. The revelation of God through creation or panentheism, uh, and so wait, that's another, we, we got some big <laughs> words here. Yeah. So panentheism is distinguished from pantheism, right? which the church has traditionally rejected pantheism, but panentheism is something different. So maybe explain what the difference is between those two. Yeah, I mean, in, in some religions, um, uh, for instance, Hinduism, and also in some indigenous religious traditions, um, God is in all things, and God uh, so, so the thing becomes mm. God in a sense that you can, in Hinduism, you can pray to a tree. And um, and in some Native American uh, traditions as well. 
And so God is in all things and God is those things. Um, in the Catholic tradition, we make a distinction that God is revealed through all of creation, but but that is not the totality of God. God's spirit and presence can be manifested through all of creation, but um, but God is bigger than that. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a partial revelation of God. It's not a full revelation of God. And we believe Jesus is the fullness of revelation, um, the resurrected Jesus who is the Christ, and that the Christ is more universal than the historical Jesus. Um, so so pan, pantheism is the belief that God is everything, mm-hmm. and panentheism, that N being important, is yes. that God is in everything. And that's the part that yes. we we can have, nobody would have to worry about. They mm-hmm. can all believe that yes. God is in everything, and God communicates God's self through creation. And is more than that. Right. So, Which is why we use water at baptism. Yes. We use oil. Yes. Uh, because those are all created things, part of nature. Yeah. Um, that again, God works through those. Yeah, and I think there's a bit of a corrective here in ecotheology in terms of this um, Greek philosophy that entered into Catholic theology through Paul and um, and others, where you have this split between matter and spirit, and matter is evil and spirit is good. And and ecotheology doesn't see it that way. It's more holistic. Mm-hmm. And many of the world's religions don't have that split. Um, but if matter were evil, um, which I don't really believe, but if it were, then it would, would have been redeemed by by Jesus the Christ. So, um, but I think also that's one of the beautiful things about Catholicism. For me, you know, we we talk sometimes about the things that we have issues with mm-hmm. on this podcast. But mm-hmm. for me, that notion that creation is good is all is is I think a very attractive thing uh, mm-hmm. about the Catholic version of Christianity, mm-hmm. and that we as human beings, our bodies are good. Mm-hmm. And we are good mm-hmm. in in our essence, yeah. in who we are, yeah. and not evil. Um, right. I think that's important. Yeah, and Genesis one says that over and over again. And it was good. God saw that it was good. Yeah. And then finally, God saw that it was very good. And one of the focuses of eco theology is this idea of interrelatedness, that everything is connected to everything else. Everything affects everything else and is affected by everything else. And and not only is this true in the natural world, and and there's a wonderful book by Merlin Sheldrake on um, entanglement. Uh, I'm trying to remember the title. Um, but so this whole notion of entanglement plays out in the creation and also at the quantum level. There's Maybe divine first entanglement. first explain what you mean by entanglement. Entanglement would be... Um, uh, yeah, I can explain it in, in various ways. Um, I wrote my doctoral dissertation on, um, it was called Soils of Regeneration, um, Exploring Conceptualizations of the Natural World as a Context for an Eco-Friendly Theology or something like that. Oh, no, an eco, eco-friendly curriculum. But basically what I did there was I looked, I I kind of mined the literature of nature and of education, and I came up with three proposed guiding metaphors for education that were organic instead of mechanical. And so I came up with soil roots and mycorrhiza. The mycorrhiza is a wonderful example of entanglement. 
in that mycorrhiza are symbiotic relationships between soil and roots. They're, they're fungi, mm-hmm. and they're both and. They're both soil and roots and the relationship that connects them. And so, and that's how nature is. I love the, the expression on your face. Yeah, this is just fascinating. <laughs> well, and, and this is how, how nature works, like lichen creates symbiotic relationships. So everything is connected. And there's this whole idea of intersubjectivity. The, the mycorrhiza are, are intersubjective in that they are soil and roots and a third entity in and of themselves. And, uh, you know, with their own identity and so uh, when you say they're a third so the soil the roots and then in the interaction between the two there's actually a third reality yep. that they are yes the fungi so in, it could be a metaphor for the trinity i have already yes. used it that way yeah. in my dissertation and then i've developed it further definitely that jesus would be the mycorrhizal or the yeah. holy spirit could be the, the mycorrhizal because we always talk about god being the you know uh-huh. the 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 creator and yeah. Jesus being the one word that God speaks right. Right. and that in the love between the two of yes. them, the inner relationship between yeah. the two of them is because it's divine is yeah. actually a third divine person yes, exactly. in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And that's kind of the St. Augustinian uh, view of Trinity, but it kind of fits with what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's this, this aliveness in it. So uh, in Christianity, we often kind of say there's this and this and this, and we create this triangle and it's, it's static, mm-hmm. but the, the Trinity, and Paul Fittis says this in his work, the Trinity is, is in movement and it's interactive. And, you know, I think if, if it's going to be a triangle, it can kind of change shape. But there's always three points, but they're moving there, moving in and out of each other. And Paul Fittis in his book, Participating in God, in which he presents um, a pastoral view of the Trinity, he talks about the Trinity not so much in substance language, but in the language of movements of love. And so you you know with the with the ecotheology, it's all about interrelatedness and entanglement. And at the quantum level, we know that's how the universe works. So uh, so are we entangled with nature? Yes. And my first chapter in the book that was published this week, I talk a lot about entanglement and other authors do too. And then Paul pulls together the threads at the end and introduces some of his own ideas. Um, So when we create such artificial structures that separate us so completely from nature, it ruptures that entanglement or maybe that doesn't rupture it. I don't know if we can ever be completely ruptured because we're uh still breathing the air, but it, it damages it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can't you can't rupture it and be alive, or even when you're dead, you're part of the process. Mm-hmm. But we put ourselves in these big metal boxes to keep us from being back in nature. But um, yeah, I mean, we're integral um, with nature when we breathe. We're breathing with all of life, with the oceans, with the natural processes of the earth, with the forests. You know, the air is circulating, water is circulating, and taking different forms. Um, so we are integral with it. And I, I know that um, often millennials, which I think is your target audience, have this sense of alienation or aloneness. And my son is a millennial, so we have conversations all the time about this. But um, Thomas Berry, who was an eco-theologian, and he was my mentor at the Loyola Institute for Ministry, um, he used to say, we can feel alone, but we can never really be alone. We can feel alienated, but we can never be alienated. 
So, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was, it's interesting that this, in England, they've just created a ministry of, for loneliness, for oh, combating wow. loneliness. Really? I think it was England. Of course it was England. Uh, <laughs> but there is, a, they are identifying this as a real epidemic worldwide right now. Mm-hmm. That, and it has to do with the, the suicides that are out there and the just disconnectedness yeah. that yeah. people feel from each mm-hmm. other and the lack of community um, and not feeling connected, I guess, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and we are, and we can't not be, but we can put up barriers, you know, some of the things you're talking about, so that technology can be a barrier. It can also be what brings us together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I just say something about this sure. ministry? So uh, it's called, the, this is from the uh, uk.gov Oh, so if it's .gov, then you can trust it. Yeah, the loneliness minister. Wow. It's more important than ever to take action. The Loneliness Awareness Week, this Loneliness Awareness Week, the loneliness minister, Baroness Barron, has warned we are still in a critical stage of tackling loneliness. Wow. Yeah. Um, So there is a, a ministry. So... In 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 the in the British government, they see this is important enough that they need to do something about it. So, well, and I think the pandemic exacerbated that. Um, so, Sister Ilia Delio talks a lot about technology in her books and in her um, webinars, and she says that um, one of the problems with technology is that it has no telos; it it has no vision mm-hmm. forward. It, it's this wonderful thing. It can also be very destructive. Um, but it's it's kind of launched out there without uh, a telos, and so we we need to direct it toward good. She also says we're all cyb- cyborgs, and um, <laughs> but but see the thing is that Wait a you just can't you just can't say we're that. all cyborgs <laughs> and then move on to the next topic. But we're we're going to have to want to know what that means. Okay, but but I I, I mean I, I Doctor Who came into my mind right away, and it's like what? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you just say we're all cyborgs? <laughs> okay, well, all right. Yeah, it, I have about 20 uh, different strains of thought going on. But but yeah, if I could just back up a second and then address that point, that entanglement is with all of nature. But um, Sister Ilya Delio and Paul Fittis would argue that we're also entangled with God. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that is a wonderful entanglement, if you ask me. But yeah, so a cyborg... Um, yeah, Ilya talks about this a lot. Uh, a cyborg isn't a cyborg half robot, half half organic, half me- mechanical. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, and technological. And okay, so right now, this is interesting. At this moment, I have hearing aids in. I'm 66 years old. I have mine in my pocket. Yeah, put them in your ears. <laughs> you should wear those. So I have I have hearing aids. I have had one cataract surgery. I'm waiting for the next one next week. So I have one artificial lens in my eye and not one in here. So my eyes are seeing different right now. And that's like an adjustment. But um, and then I um, when I talk on the phone or I, I listen to a newscast or anything, it comes through Bluetooth to my hearing aids. So and then I drive my car and wow. it's a hybrid car. And and so. As much as I don't want to admit it, I fight this idea. I'm already like part mechanical, part human, right? <laughs> and and technology enabled. 
So is this is this something that she believes we're we're now becoming cyborgs, or we've always been cyborgs? She doesn't think we've always been cyborgs, uh-huh. but we are becoming. We we are. I mean, in terms of uh, artificial hips, knees. Yeah, you know, that's right. Yeah. yeah, Western culture. I mean, we are. Not all parts of the world are, and and part of me longs for a time when, you know, before technology. I remember it. You know, I was a kid. And I remember that there'll be artificial wombs before. Much oh yeah, wombs. Wombs. Yeah, I think they're already. They've already developed. I've seen them, them um, like with a lamb, like grow yeah, up. There's some lamb. real yeah. ethical. In a sack. And yeah. I think there's the another moral issue with that is if this whole idea of entanglement, you know, that entanglement kind of starts from the first moment we're created. I mean, now they're discovering more and more about just how entangled mother yes. and fetus yeah. is, mm-hmm. you know, um, and there's hard to separate the two, but, um, you know, so if you're creating artificial wombs, you know, what, and we become even more side, like cyborgs, uh, what does that mean in terms of that? Right. And she's one of the theologians who's exploring that. And that that's called um, maternal micro chimerism, maternal micro chimerism. And the piece I wrote for um, Ilya's website last month, uh, addresses that at the end, but yeah, I mean, so the 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 baby or the the fetus or embryo inside of the mother um, not only shares the the blood of the mother and the oxygen and um, uh, minerals, etc., but also they are finding cells of the um, the unborn child in the mother's brain, and after the child is born there are still cells of the the baby. So it's a reciprocal relationship. And since these are stem cells, there's experiments being done that um, are exploring the capacity of the baby's stem cells to cure diseases in the mother Mm -hmm. because stem cells can take different forms. And so the baby, uh, while it's growing in the mother and afterwards is healing the mother. Wow. Yeah, so there's entanglement. And, mm-hmm. and all of life is entangled, and many would hold, and I do, that we're entangled with God. And so... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if we're God's body on earth, right, then... And, and this is where Christogenesis comes in, and I know you're going to want me to define that, but yeah. <laughs> my work with um, Sister Ilia Delio, um, she talks about Christogenesis, and she's a scholar of Teilhard de Chardin, who was a French paleontologist in the late 19th through... Um, early, uh, I think he died in the early sixties. Yeah, I'm trying to to think of Jesuit yeah. priest. Yeah, mid uh, mid twentieth century. Yeah, and that's uh, why we have Google. We can just look it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish I knew those dates off the top of my head. But so he was a process theologian, although he didn't call himself that per se. But he was the first um, theologian to really address evolution um, theologically. Mm-hmm. And um, so where was I going with this? <laughs> he died in 1955, born in 1881, oh, died in 1955. One year before I was born. Um, yeah, so... I love this quote from him. It ties in with Caritas. Someday, after we have mastered the yes. winds, the waves, the tides, yes. and gravity, we shall harness for God the energies of love, and then for the second time in the history of the world, Humanity will have discovered fire. Yes, and that's I actually have oh, wow. that under my signature in my um, uh, Russia email. 
Oh, that quote. Yes. So in terms of cosmogenesis. Yeah, like sort of man. Like it's like somebody you would spend some time talking to yeah, when you look at his but, picture. But the the French Catholic Church kicked him out and he came and lived in New York City. But yeah, because his writings were were so challenging. I don't think he was ever formally excommunicated and I don't think he was ever formally uh I think he was under suspicion. And I'd have to I have to remind myself because I don't remember yeah. that he his works were suspect as being, you know, process philosophy, which mm -hmm. you know was started by Alfred another North. Englishman, white whitehead. Alfred North, yeah, Whitehead. Um what was the church was very uncomfortable with it mm -hmm. because he argued that everything changes, including God. Right. Um but it also serves as a foundation for some of what you're doing with the Christogenesis project. Yeah, yeah. So, so Christogenesis, um, it's really it comes out of Teilhardian um, thought, and that is, um, if all of if if Christ, if the Christ is part of creation, and more, mm -hmm. and all of creation is evolving, it's emerging toward what Teilhard called the Omega point, the the fullness or completion in Christ. And then God is evolving with the creation, or the Christ is evolving with the creation. So if if Christ is entangled with us, and we're entangled with Christ, and we're part of Christ, we're the body of Christ, and we're changing and moving and emerging and evolving, then Christ is also emergent. And that is problematic for some, for others not. For some, uh, for others, it's very liberating. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I don't have to leave my religious faith and embrace evolution. It's not either or; it's both and. Mm -hmm. It's they're integral to each other. And so, um, Ilya is a Franciscan sister of Washington D.C. She is a um, professor of theology. Um, she, she got her PhD in historical theology. She, she teaches at Villanova University. Um, she also has a PhD in pharmacology. She's a, an excellent scientist, a brilliant woman. She spoke here years ago, about 10, well, more than that, more than 15 years ago, she spoke here. Yeah, and she remembers that. She was asking me, who asked me to come? And I was like, I don't know. I wasn't Sister there Michelle yet. Morick would have asked her to oh, come. Okay. Yeah. And... Um, so she also has a nonprofit organization, the Center for um, Christogenesis, where people explore these ideas together. And there are different aspects of it. There's a, an annual conference. There's one coming up in February. And I'll be, actually be up there during it. So I'm excited about that. And there's a, she does webinars. And um, they have conversations, informal conversations, sometimes on Sunday afternoons. Um, they also have what they call Christophany groups. And these are small um, groups of people throughout the world. I mean, they're not in every country, but they're very spread out. And um, they make a commitment to each other to meet maybe once a week or every two weeks or once a month and talk about some of these ideas. And there are readings that they grapple with. And um, so I recently took a position, a part-time position as coordinator of the Christophany groups. And that is so much fun. I mean, I just, I'm learning so much and my whole idea of um, this connectedness and entanglement is growing because of these groups. Um, for instance, um, and I don't want to get too much off the topic because I have to remember. I'm just writing something down. So I don't we tend to be stream of, not, stream that, of we, not, not necessarily consciousness, but stream of wherever we go. Okay. Yeah. 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 So um, 
with the Christophany groups, um, I, you know, my PhD is in curriculum and instruction, and I have a master's in um, pastoral studies with the focus in religion and ecology, and I also have two music degrees. But um, so I, I come out of this education world, and the model traditionally has been um, you have the subject here at the top. If you can think of the subject under study as maybe a circle at the top. Mm -hmm. And then underneath it is another circle, and that's the teacher. And then underneath that, you have the students that are circles at the bottom. And it's top, bottom, subject, teacher, and there are just down arrows. So the subject um, is revealed just to the teacher, and then the teacher re reveals the, the subject that they're studying to the students. Mm -hmm. And so the students only have access to the topic through the teacher, who is the expert. Then Parker Palmer, um, an educational uh, philosopher and teacher, he talks about another model where you learn in community. And the subject is at the center. And the learners are all around the circle. Mm -hmm. And the teacher is one of the learners. And oh. each one has a relationship to the subject, to the center. And the arrows go both ways. So the, the students affect the subject, the subject affects the students, and all of them are connected. So there's lines between all of them. It's just this web. And that that's how learning occurs. And what's the role of the teacher then? The role of the teacher is to facilitate the learning um, process and facilitate the, the whole process whereby students access what Parker Palmer calls that great thing in the center. So what if that great thing in the center is Christ? And what if we're all gathered around the Christ in relationship with Christ mm -hmm. and with one another? And so that's how I see the Christophany groups. And, and I was talking to one of the facilitators of the groups, and, and we were just talking about this model. And she said, I see it like eddies in a pond. And she said, in my backyard, I have a pond, and there are these eddies, these little circular tiny whirlpools, and they're all flowing in and out of each other and into the center and out of the center, and they're all moved by a mysterious force. And I actually, I just absolutely love that because it takes Palmer's model um, and makes it more organic mm -hmm. and makes it, you know, provides movement. And that's part of that emergence that characterizes process thought and process theology. So, um, so process theology is the idea that we are all evolving, all of the universe is evolving, God being at, at, at the heart of the universe, the beginning of the universe, the end of the universe, and Christ being the kind of uh, enlivening aspect of the universe with the whole, for the gift of the spirit, if one try to mm -hmm. put this in Trinitarian, but that all of that is changing. And it's not necessarily that we're saying that God is somehow deficient and becomes more perfect. Mm -hmm. We can talk about a perfect God, but as you said before we started recording, you said something that I've been thinking about, that perfection demands, how did you put it? Well, if God is love... Um, you said something like divine perfection requires change or something. You said something yeah, to that effect. Or, well, because we're not perfect. Well, yeah, what I, what I was saying is that... that the part of God that never changes is love. And since God's love is perfect, then it has to move and change and emerge because we're changing and emerging and God's in relationship with us. Mm -hmm. So like in a marriage, you know, you, you have this love between you. And if one person isn't growing, if it's not emerging, then the relationship is damaged. Mm -hmm. You all have to grow together. And, and, but God's 
what you know what is perfect and unchanging is love, God's love. But it's it's in in relationship. So um, you know it it moves in that sense, but it doesn't change because it's always perfect. So if it, we don't want to say God's identity is somehow defined by us. Right, we don't. Um, because we are finite and had a beginning, and we believe the universe had a beginning, but God doesn't have a we, beginning. Yeah, we don't define God, but if we are the body of Christ, if we are Christ on earth, then God, Christ is affected by us. Mm -hmm but not defined by us. And it's interesting. We were talking about that last week, actually, mm -hmm. about God's justice. Remember mm -hmm. that conversation about how mm -hmm. how do we understand just God's justice? And yeah. we looked at the Old Testament and yes. how God, God is presented without apology in the Old Testament as changing his mind sometimes. Yes. Um, God regretted the decision or mm -hmm. God looked with love upon them and his heart was moved. Um, mm -hmm. And they might even talk about God didn't harden his heart. God's heart was, you know, softened yeah. to yeah. something. Yeah. Um, and that implies change. Of course, we also understand that the main change that happens in the history of humanity is our change as we understand what that love means. That at one time love might have been understood mm -hmm. in a very martial in terms of warlike and uh, punitive way. Yeah. And and that was the loving thing that a ruler would do mm -hmm. was go to war mm -hmm. and make sure the laws were obeyed and yeah. punish when the laws weren't yeah. to a, a, a more benevolent understanding mm -hmm. of that love. The love is still there. Mm -hmm. we've, we've evolved and and process theology would say that God in some sense evolves with us. Right. And that's the part I I still have to wrap my mind around and don't yeah. really understand what that means, but yeah. probably none of us do. Yeah. But um, it, it seems reasonable to a certain mm -hmm. extent. It, it, it's what we're exploring. And if we are going to embrace uh, an emergent universe, then we need to to think it through theologically. And yeah, so I mean, the point is that God always loves perfectly. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, but within that, like, you know, I think a distinction might be made um, that love is a verb and not a noun. So if love is a verb, then like, as you said, and with those examples from the Old Testament, it's going to look different, it's going to be in movement. Mm -hmm. And today's reading from Isaiah 54 verses one through 10, God has um, has God is the the husband of this woman and who represents Israel, and uh, God has left the woman, and then God is coming back, and you know through God's mercy, God's returning, and so there's this love that moves that that is a verb. That um, so sometimes it's a tough love. Yeah, it's like mm -hmm. a teaching love, and yeah, yeah. I that's where they they understood it in the Old Testament. I think often is that God's love was corrective yeah well and then you get to the prophets um you know isaiah and jeremiah where you start seeing the new covenant of love like okay i'm making a new covenant uh with you and and it's about um turning their hard hearts uh you know to soft 
malleable, loving hearts. And, and that new covenant leads straight to Jesus who embodies it. So, um, you know, even in the Old Testament, the idea of the original covenant and the new covenant, there, there are five covenants in the Old Testament, but mm-hmm. it culminates in the New Testament. I mean, in the, the new covenant, who is Jesus? You know, I think this, um, when I was a kid, I remember, you know, reading, uh, I was one of these strange kids that read theology, but <laughs> I always was concerned about heaven because heaven was described as the beatific vision where we would be part of the eternity of God mm-hmm. and we our happiness would be simply seeing God for an eternity. Mm-hmm. It just seemed so boring. <laughs> just to sit, And I just had this image as a kid of everybody sitting around just staring at God <laughs> for an eternity. Yeah. And it's like, nothing's going to hold my attention for that long. Yeah, yeah. And, um, uh, and of course, our theology kind of went along with that, you know, that once you died, you were locked in. You made no more decisions. Your moral decisions mm. were done. Yeah. Hope, you had no, no reason to hope because yeah. hope is always about change. Yeah. You really didn't have to have faith anymore because faith is about believing in what you cannot see. Now that you can see it, it's not faith anymore. Mm-hmm. It's direct knowledge. Mm-hmm. What what and St. Paul says what what lasts is love. Yeah. Uh, right. But then again, right. it's still often presented in that Greek way, yeah. that Greek philosophical way, that that love is unchanging and eternal, and we're going to be so wrapped up in it that that's all. You know, I, as an adult, I can understand that. You know mm-hmm. that, that that eternity is not sitting around waiting yeah. for things to happen. Yeah. Um, but it, it, I think it does tie in with maybe presenting a better view of the afterlife than mm-hmm. what we've often envisioned. Yeah, and it's already here. I mean, it's here and not yet. So Teilhard would say that love is the energy of the universe, that, that love is the energy that binds everything together, mm-hmm. the connective tissue, if you will, of the, the universe. And... Um, and, and it's here. And, um, you know, we can celebrate the kingdom here and now. Jesus kept trying to get his disciples to do that. Like, well, look, when you love, the kingdom is here now or the reign of God or however you want to say it. And and so we get that continual glimpse of heaven. Um, what would you say um, is in terms of the work you're doing, whether it's eco-theology or this crystal genesis work, is the main insight that would be valuable to Catholics or non-Catholics today who are trying to find their way in a very complex and confusing world? What would be, in just a couple of sentences, the the one thing that you would want to have as as a takeaway? Well, I guess I would say that Everything is one, that we're all entangled with one another, with God, with the universe, um, in love, in the energy of love. And also I would point them to science. This um, There's a misperception by some that science and religion are at odds. And there was a, a survey that came out a few years ago about Catholics leaving the church in droves younger and younger. Mm-hmm. And part of that is that... Um, it, Catholics uh, learn science, they learn religion, and if they perceive that there is 
a disconnect. Mm -hmm. There's not really, but if they perceive there is, and they have to choose one or the other, they choose science and they ditch religion, mm -hmm. but you don't have to choose. So I would just encourage people to read and know science and read the literature of those who are integrating science and religion. I think one of our most listened to episodes mm -hmm. last year was the episode on evolution, evolution. and how many Catholics, yeah. younger Catholics who went to Catholic through 12 years of Catholic education mm -hmm. said, I didn't know that we could also believe in evolution and be faithful Catholics. Yeah, we, we make people do mental gymnastics, like to be Catholic, you know, in that that I model. That. Yeah, you've yeah. got to do you've got to hold these contradictory things, but they're mm -hmm. all true. But but wait, I'm a reasonable person, you know, uh -huh. and, and you don't have to do all those gymnastics. It's one sacred whole and science and religion illuminate one another. Pope Paul II um, used to say that um, science and religion are two wings of a bird. Mm -hmm. um, Einstein said uh, science without religion is blind and religion without science is lame. Or was it the opposite? I don't remember. <laughs> but, uh, but it was the one in, in John Paul II's uh, encyclical Faith and Reason. It does exactly the thing he talks about, that like two wings on the bird, faith and reason, yes. are required to fly to God. You yes, know? exactly. Yes, it, and that's what it was tying into. Yeah, and um, that it, it's it's one sacred whole, and it's beautiful, and they illuminate each other, and, and both seek truth. And truth cannot contradict truth. So if you follow either to their logical conclusion, you're they'll meet. You're gonna yeah, they're gonna meet. And mm -hmm. they already meet, they meet all over the place. Science is a hermeneutic for knowing and understanding how life works. Mm -hmm. Religion is a hermeneutic for understanding God and and our life together um, as as Christians, as believers. And and so they're different hermeneutics, and sometimes we try to get them to function in ways they're not meant to function. Yeah. So you can't find, you know, Jesus under the microscope. Uh, or maybe you can, you know, depending on how you conceive of Jesus. Sometimes he appears on toast. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> our, our buildings. Yeah. So if I could maybe build a hermeneutical arch, so we're talking about hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the science of interpretation, mm -hmm. of taking something that may be abstract and applying it to what, what does it mean. Um I think what you're saying and what I'm hearing is people can can be consoled that they don't have to have their act together, mm -hmm. that there's a really long runway. Mm -hmm. uh, and even after we're gone from this world, that runway continues. We've talked about that in terms of purgatory, you know, the mm -hmm. traditional, a lot of the traditional understandings or things that we do that people often, you know, misinterpret have meaning beyond and can actually be applied to these kinds of things. Yeah. That we don't have to have our act together. We're we're in process. We're mm -hmm. becoming. Yes. Um, and uh and that the God in God's love is guiding that becoming. So relax and chill a little bit. Um obviously take life seriously, obviously mm -hmm. take faith seriously, yeah. but also remember ultimately it's grace and God's in charge and who we are at any given moment right now is not who we might be mm. in the next moment. Yeah. yeah. It's not too late to find God at any point. Yeah. And the, and the becoming yeah, is our whole lives. One question that I had uh, 
the beginning of all of this and I think I've got the understanding throughout this um, conversation is theology in general so we have eco theology process theology spiritual theology is your doctor isn't it father Larry? Uh, moral theology moral theology so am i right in saying theology is the study of god and then all of these words that become like eco process spiritual and so on they're just like the avenues of god that you're actually looking into a lot more is that am i understanding that right yeah i think that's a good way to understand it there are multiple avenues to god and that mm -hmm. the you know moral theology studies are human actions around god though in, as, in, a, around as god. an underlining yeah. mm -hmm. so that theology is what that uh, theology is. is i love the classic definition of theology is faith seeking yeah. understanding because it okay. says everything you know yeah. so i believe but i don't always understand and it says seeking, which ties in beautifully to the process thing. Yeah. You know, seeking is an active verb. It's not it's not faith having found understanding. Yeah. It's faith seeking understanding. Okay. And so uh, all of the various types of theologies, whether it's Christology, which is the study of Christ, ecclesiology, the study of the church, moral, moral theology, the study of, of human actions in relation to our relationship with God mm -hmm. and good and evil. All of those are ways of coming to that understanding. Okay. Uh, but like you said, different avenues. Yeah, I, I look at them as lenses. Oh. Yeah, different lenses through which we look at God. And depending on what lens we're looking through, we're going to find some aspect of God. You know, there's liberation theology, there's black theology, womanist theology, feminist theology. Wow. And they're, and they're all good because they illuminate the whole. And are these all under the catholic church are these just people like and i don't know how to it's not limited to the catholic church because uh, you, you know there are, are episcopalian theologians baptist theologians okay i mean there are certain ones that are very specifically catholic like mariology okay and yeah. then there are others where people you know like um uh womanist or feminist theology That's is what I was yeah is, is obviously believers mm -hmm. And they want to understand what, I want to have a better understanding of what does, uh, what does the role of being a woman mean in light of the revelation we've received from God? Because mm -hmm. all theology is done in the light of revelation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we talk about sources of theology. Sources of theology include my own experience, the community's experience, um, and then for us as Christians, sacred scripture, because that's how God revealed God's self to us, and also for Catholics tradition. So if I'm wanting to understand something better as a theologian, I look to those sources. Yeah. And just a side that. note, womanist theology is black feminist theology. Oh, wow. It has its own flavor. Wow. And then there's also Mujerista. Yes. Yeah, Mujerista it would be the Latino, Latina women that that hermeneutical lens and are these actual classes that are it, in larger studies. yeah in large yes the, the, you could take a class i suspect like at university of san francisco in various types of uh theology i mean you'd have to have somebody who's very spe mm -hmm. specific in terms of having studied that at, um, at villanova they have 34 theology professors wow 
Um, yes. All different lenses. All different, all different lenses. Avenues, flavors. Yeah. What do you have here at Brusher? Do you uh, in theology wise? We have more of the classic. Classic ones. theology. So you know, although I would say when I taught faith and justice, mm -hmm. I introduced the students to those various other kinds yeah. of socially aware theologies. Yeah. You know that. that good. Even though we didn't study them in depth because I'm not an expert in them. Yeah. Uh, we introduced the students. That's cool. Them. Yeah, and um, I have taught a class, Women in the Bible. I mm. love teaching that class. It's like one of the my favorite things I've ever done here. Um, but, yeah, once you start teaching faith and justice, you start getting into liberation theology. You can get into feminist. You can get into all different um, ways of doing theology. The faith and justice sounds really interesting. Mm -hmm. And and the these theologies often emerge from people's experience as oppressed groups mm -hmm. yeah so um and it's trying to find meaning in that and liberation theology i would say is probably the foundational theology for a lot of these other types of theologies yeah. and that was developed by um gutierrez. Probably, yeah, gutierrez in brazil mm -hmm. and so it's a south american theology mm -hmm. in uh response to the you know, the poverty and um, lack of development that occurred with a lot of people and the, the disparity in wealth and, you know, what what's happening probably in the rainforest, yeah. you know, with different groups yeah. of people and nature yeah. itself. And that the idea being that God is a liberator ultimately. Yeah. And, and if you need to stop, it's okay. But I just want to jump in with one more point. And that is um, I attend the, the weekly um seminars of the Oxford Center for Religion and Culture when they're in, in session. Mm -hmm. And one of the most incredible ones that I heard was from a theologian who, um, like, we often identify with the Israelites and God leading the Israelites into the promised land and conquering the Canaanites. Well, this person said, what if you were a Canaanite? What does that feel like to have yeah. these conquerors come in? Yeah, Just looking at the whole other side of this. Mm -hmm. It was fascinating. And, and there was another talk I attended. Um, it was a, a wonderful Anglican um, minister in uh, England from India. And his, you know, they have the caste system in India, even though officially they've gotten rid of it. There are a lot of remnants of it. And the Dalit were part of the caste system. They were at the very bottom. And they were the ones that dealt with the sewage, with the human excrements. And he was from that from the Dalit. He was a Dalit and he was never supposed to rise up. The only way you can rise up is to to die and be reincarnated at a higher level. But he is a um, an Anglican priest in England. And so his whole theology coming from being a Dalit, imagine how does he hear mm -hmm. that message? You know, is, is right. he the conqueror or is he the conquered? You know, is he the lowly that Jesus is rising up? It, it changes everything. Who are you in the story? Oh, wow. I mean, it's, it's, it makes communication richer, but it also makes communication more complicated mm -hmm. in when you say something and you ask yourself, how are people who are not my intended audience receiving this? Or even how are people in my intended audience yeah. whose lives may have complications that I'm not aware of receiving this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, And that is often where a lot of these theologies come in is that they force us because Typically, they are. It's an, it, you, you have to be assertive. If you are doing a theology of 
let's say, feminism, you have to be assertive because the predominant theology is coming from patriarchal system that may or may not want to hear that. But over time, it begins to have effect change and we begin to hear it more and more. So it's um, it, it, it's just an interesting, wonderful part of, I think, the process theology and that things are always evolving and changing. Mm-hmm. And evolution and change is messy and sometimes not pleasant. Right. So Great. anyway, I think we've kind of <laughs> Fascinating. done all that. Yeah, so, all over the place. Uh, I think we need you back for another... Yeah. Deep would dive, you yeah. <laughs> would you be comfortable leading a little short little spontaneous prayer? Um, would I be comfortable? <laughs> Let's see. Is there another way you can ask that? Um, <laughs> would you lead us in a short prayer? <laughs> okay. Loving God, we thank you for this opportunity to to be together to explore you and your wonderful, perfect love together. We thank you for your presence during this Advent season as we anticipate the coming of the Christ and as we as people, as humanity, move ever more closely toward you. Amen. 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 This podcast is ended. Go forth and love one another as you have been called to love. I think that's the right way. That was better. That was good. And God save the king. God save the king. That's our new one. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's our new one. God save the king. All right. See y'all. Bye.